One of the great Old Testament saints once said, Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Well, Job certainly experienced his share of troubles in life. And since the fall of humankind into sin, troubles have become part of our everyday experience. Sin has brought separation from God, but it has also brought sickness, suffering, brokenness, and all kinds of other issues in this world. There's not one of us here who has not experienced this suffering and brokenness in one form or another. Now, there are many who blame God for this. But the reality of the matter is that we brought this upon ourselves and God has done what no one else has ever done to resolve the problem. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin. And Jesus did two things on the cross. First, he paid the penalty I could not pay to make amends to God. And second, he gives us all who, all of us who receive this gift, the power to overcome sin. Everything we need to overcome the penalty and power of sin is found in Jesus Christ and his work. And when Jesus came to this earth, he willingly faced the curse of sin. That meant that he suffered what we suffer. He endured what we have to endure on this sin-cursed world. And how did Jesus deal with the suffering and pain that he endured? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always deal with our suffering and pain and brokenness very well. But Matthew 27 and verse 46, however, reveals the words of Jesus in his most difficult and horrendous trial. Jesus is now on the cross. He's been beaten and mocked by Roman soldiers. Nailed to the cross, he listens to the people gathered around its base, ridiculing him. The agony passing like waves through his body is sapping every ounce of his strength. Now, at one point, his, he senses even the Father God had turned his back upon him. And in the midst of this pain, listen to the cry of Jesus at this hour of need. And in Matthew 27 and verse 46, we, we read this. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me take just a couple of moments here to make a few points, son, on what Jesus said here on the cross as we reflect on his response to this, his most trying hour. Notice first the word God. Jesus recognizes the Father was God. That's to say, he confessed that as God, he had every right. If God saw fit to allow him to pass through the valley of the shadow of death, then so be it. As God, he had authority over every aspect of his life. God's authority took precedence over his own authority over his own body and life. 
And by calling the Father God, Jesus is recognizing his authority and the will of the Father for him. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that there can be no peace in our trouble until we settle this matter. God must have every right. We cannot fight him and be at peace with him. He must be Lord. He must be God. And we must submit and be confident in his purpose. But let's look more closely at the words Jesus uses here. Notice that he says, my God, my God. Now, the use of the word my here moves what Jesus says from some generic statement to something very personal. Yes, we all understand that God is over all. He wouldn't be God if he didn't have the right to do whatever he wanted. He wouldn't be God if he didn't have authority over me and what takes place in my life. But by addressing the Father as my God, Jesus is making a very powerful statement. Not only is Jesus confessing his Father as God, but he is confessing him as his God in his life, in his circumstances. The difference between God and my God is surrender. Jesus is declaring his surrender to the purpose of his God. In this great trial before me today, Jesus says to his Father, I declare you to be my God. I submit to your purpose and will. I will not fight you on this. I will accept whatever you give. I will walk in willing obedience no matter the cost. This is where we often fail. We recognize God, but hesitate to call him my God because that implies acceptance and submission to his purpose. But there's another aspect to the phrase, my God. If God is my God, I have all that I need. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say about this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul knew the support of his God. Paul was able to do all things through his God. When Jesus spoke the words, my God, he was conveying his absolute confidence and trust in God who had been faithful to him always. And he is casting himself completely into the hands of his God, who is bigger than any pain, any suffering that he would ever experience. He is my God. Is he your God? Then I have no fear if he's my God. I, I have all that I need in him. I can trust him no matter the, the, no matter the cost. And only when he is truly my God can I experience his comfort. Is he your God in your pain? Is he Lord in your agony? Is he you, your confidence? Can you trust him fully? And can you trust yourselves fully into the hands of your God? In his most painful trial, Jesus cries out, My God, my God. Notice the final words of Jesus here in verse 46 of Matthew 27. 
Why have you forsaken me? Jesus asked, why? Now understand, however, that the question was asked in the context of declaring the Father as God. That's to say, the one who had absolute right and absolute authority, the one who had absolute power to take him through this trial. Jesus is not questioning the Father's authority here. He's not saying, Father, what right do you have to do this to me? Jesus has already declared the Father's right in the words, my God. So the question why is not about God's right. The question why is not even a question of understanding what the Father is doing. Jesus went to the cross fully knowing what it was that he had to do. He had to die to pay the penalty for sin. He knew that this penalty needed to be paid by his death. There was no other way. Jesus taught this to his disciples even before he went to the cross. And so Jesus was fully aware of why he went to the cross. The question Jesus poses here relates to the Father forsaking him. Now understand that Jesus knew the response of the Father to him taking on sin. He understood that the Father could not tolerate sin. It would turn his back on him. So what is Jesus asking when he asks the question, why? Well, the word Jesus uses here comes from two Greek words. And the first word is hina, referring to, uh, could be translated by the word purpose or to end. And the second word, t, is translated by who, which, or what. And when you put the words together, the question is, to what end or to what purpose have you forsaken me? So when Jesus asks why, he doesn't mean, what right do you have to do this? He's asking, what is your purpose in forsaking me? What is the end? What do you want to accomplish? In other words, God, would you show me what your goal is? In this trial, I've often said there's one thing worse than facing a great trial in life, and that is to come out the other end the same, never having accomplished the purpose of God in it or never having learned the lessons God intends. And so why here is a statement of purpose? I want to achieve all that you have for me to achieve in this struggle. I want to become all you want me to become in this pain. I want this trial to be fruitful in my life. In this question we ask when we are facing in these questions, is this rather the question that we ask when we encounter difficulty? Lord, show me what you're doing so that I don't miss out on your purpose. Lord, I trust you. You have every right, but show me your purpose so that I don't come out the same. Show me why, so that I can accomplish what you have for me to accomplish. And it's only in this attitude of submission that we can have peace with God in our trial. He, Jesus Christ, submits to the Father. In his trial, he recognized the right of God to do as he pleased. In his trial, Jesus confesses God to be his God. That's to say he submitted to his purpose. He trusted his provision to face what was ahead. 
And Jesus asked, why? But not to question the will of the Father, not to question the will of his God, but to ask him to show him the purpose for which this trial was intended so that he could accomplish everything that God had for him to accomplish. Jesus surrenders to God. He would not fight to him, fight him, but learn from him. He would not compete with him, but surrender to him. And in this attitude and in this attitude alone, this attitude of surrender, this attitude of submission, can we know the peace that Jesus experienced even in his great trial and hour of need?